a difficult text because of the some of the cultural uh, ramifications that are um, rooted in this text, and um, so so in preparation, I just really sought to see the Lord's heart in the text. Uh, sometimes when you read a text of Scripture, you look at it very surfacey, and and all you see is um, uh, maybe things that are are not. Um, necessarily the main focus of the text. And so I asked the Lord to give us some, give us something this morning. I asked the Lord to give me something this week that would be helpful to all of us, uh, not, not just to women, but to all of us. And, and really what um, the Apostle Paul's focus is when he's teaching this text. Um, because it, it, the, the meaning of it, if you take it within the context of the rest of the passage of Scripture, there's something deeper there than I think um, meets the eye initially. And so I, I want to teach that. I want to teach this morning from this text and um, do my best to unpack some truths that will be applicable both to men and to women. We want to remember that our, our main theme in this book is this battle that's taking place. Chapter number one, at the very end, the Apostle Paul encourages Timothy to, to war a good warfare or to fight a good fight. And then in verse number five, he says the aim of this context, the, the aim of this uh, scripture, the aim of this book is love. And so what the Apostle Paul is doing is he's, he's pushing Timothy beyond a lot of these circumstantial things that are taking place in Ephesus, and he's pushing them to rise above these things and, and to maintain a, a heart that is a, a heart that is a Christ-like heart. It's easy um, to live in a, in a difficult culture, a difficult society or around difficult people and to forsake those things that are really, really valuable to the gospel and to forsake those things that really, really matter to the Lord. And so as Paul writes this letter to Timothy, the scripture is, is unpacking that uh, in the culture of Ephesus as where this is written to, but also I think there's a practical application to our um, to our life today and how we respond to circumstances and situations that we respond in the right way. Remember the first step mentioned in verse number one of chapter number two. He says, first of all, I urge you that prayers, supplications, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. So the apostle Paul says, the first thing is that you, when you're in a difficult circumstance or you're around difficult people, the first way that you should respond is by praying for them. It's by lifting them up to the Lord. And not responding in bitterness, anger, um, worry, or frustration, but we respond to situations and circumstances with prayer. And if we're going to um, point those circumstances or, or those people to Christ, if we're gonna point those people to the gospel, if we're going to point those people to salvation, it is important that we respond correctly to those people and to those situations and circumstances. There's no greater witness, or let me say it this way, there's very few witnesses that are equal to the witness of how Christians respond in difficult circumstances or to difficult people. And so as we respond in our daily lives, we are pointing people either to Christ or we're pointing people away from Christ. The Apostle Paul or the scriptures instruct us that we're to respond in such a way that we point people to Christ. And really that's the first uh, seven verses of chapter number two. It is the 
um, how do people respond to situations and to circumstances? It's interesting in verse number eight, the apostle Paul writes and says, I desire that in every place that men should pray, lifting up holy hands um, without anger or quarreling. In that verse, and the implication is verse one through eight is written specifically to men. And Paul is focusing on men and saying to men, when you're in difficult circumstance or you're around difficult people, um, pray, give it to prayer. And the reason the Apostle Paul says that is not because he doesn't want women to be praying for other women. He doesn't want women to be, uh, he doesn't want women not to pray in difficult circumstances or around difficult people. The reason the Apostle Paul writes this way is because this was a struggle for men during this season and during this place. Uh, Men were poor responders to difficulty. And I don't know that it's not, wouldn't be too far from the truth to say that men are still poor responders. And we still struggle responding rightly to difficult people and difficult situations. Amen? Any of you men out there like me in that way? It's difficult to respond. Um, we, we may not be as bad in regards to the upfront piece, but we are really bad when it comes to the, to the responding piece. And we respond to words very poorly. We respond to um, people poorly as well. So the Apostle Paul understands this. So he says, men, when you get in difficult circumstances or around difficult people, pray and uh, lift up holy hands to the Lord. Again, I, I don't believe the Apostle Paul is not saying for women to do the same thing. I think that the scriptures would imply that women also would pray in difficult circumstances and for difficult people. But... Because of the struggle at Ephesus during the writings of this time, he says, men, pray when you're in these difficult circumstances. I believe the same thing is going to be true for the latter part of this text, which is written specifically to women, but I don't believe that it's not applicable also to men. I don't believe the Apostle Paul was not saying that men should not dress in modest apparel as well, that that men should not also be submissive, that men should also not be humble. There's a lot of things here that are applicable to the church as a whole. If we take this text of scripture as well and compare it to to Ephesians 5 where the scripture talks about the husband and wife relationship, the apostle Paul says, I'm writing these things as I am explaining what it's like to be in the church, Christ's relationship to his church. So men are to focus on this piece of it And women are to focus on this piece of it while both pieces apply to both parties. We want to remember this as well. At the end of the day, it's the gospel that matters. What we're doing, what we're seeking to accomplish is we're seeking to create an environment, to create a relationship, to create a discipleship process in which the gospel is central and the gospel is the focus. And I believe that that's what the Apostle Paul is teaching on in regards to the first part is how we respond, and in regards to the second part is how we relate. And that would be um, kind of the theme of this sermon this morning is how do we relate to people? How do we relate in situations, especially when we're dealing, to, uh, dealing with difficult people? Mark eight thirty five says, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. 
So the focus of our lives, the call of our lives, the ministry of our lives is to live for the gospel. We're to live out the gospel. We're to live for the gospel. And our goal is to point people or to, to draw people, if you will, to bring people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's our goal. And everything that we do, whether it be responding to people or relating to people, everything that we do has to be patterned around that theme. It is what I'm doing going to put, point people to the gospel or is what I'm doing going to point people away from the gospel? Is what I'm doing going to cause people to embrace Christ or is what I'm doing going to cause people to reject Christ? Okay, and again, I think the idea of the sexes here is because of a very specific struggle that was taking place in Ephesus. I believe that both of these or this whole chapter applies to all of us. That we have a responsibility as we relate to people and as we relate to the gospel. We have a responsibility to live in such a way as to bring people to the Lord. So I want to look at four or five things this morning if you're taking notes in regards to relating to people with the gospel at the center. You'll notice uh, verse number nine. I'll read verse eight as well. He says, I desire that in every place men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, we want to stop there for just a moment. This word likewise just simply means for the same purpose, for the same reasons. You just go back up into the beginning of chapter number Two, and you see what the Apostle Paul is saying is applicable to the, is, is continued through the rest of this chapter. In other words, we are still in priority number one, right? Okay, that whole first of all that took place in the first verse is still applicable here. We're still in phase one. This is not pray for people and then do these things. This is Pray for people and do these things. We're still under priority one. The purpose, again, according to verse number, um, verse number two of chapter two, is that we can live uh, peaceable lives. We can be peaceable people. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the prince of peace in Isaiah. So it makes sense that the followers of Jesus Christ would also be peaceable people, right? It makes sense that we would be seeking after peace and not seeking after war. We would be seeking after um, community and harmony and not seeking after conflict. I mean, you look at so many passages of scripture, I think of 2 Timothy 2, where the Lord talks about that the, 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 the servant of the Lord must not be quarrelsome, must not be one who wants to quarrel all the time. In 1 Timothy chapter number 3, which, which is just the next chapter in the list of the uh, requirements for elders, it's, it's over and over again, the idea of not being a fighter, not being a brawler, not being contentious. For, for a Christian, we are to live in such a way as we can live a peaceful and quiet life. The scriptures tell us that we're to seek for peace as much as lieth within us. In other words, as much as under our control, as much as in our power and strength, we should live peaceably with all men. This is the purpose. It's the same at the beginning of this chapter and it continues down through the end of this chapter. 
So our purpose is that we can live peaceably with all men. It's not just an external peace, but we know based upon verse 2 of chapter 2 that it's also an internal peace. It's a, a quiet restfulness in our hearts. Then we also notice, we go back, who is it for? He says to pray for everyone, right? So who does this part apply to? Who do we not just respond correctly to, but who do we relate correctly to or seek to relate correctly to? Everyone. We seek to relate properly to everyone. Every situation and every circumstance, no, none of them are exempt from it. And then the Apostle Paul says, why do we do it? What's the reason? Because it's morally right. It's pleasing to God. It's consistent with Christ's character and it, and it is the only hope that the world has. The gospel is the only hope that the world has. We believe that, right? The fact that Jesus Christ came into this world 2,000 years ago, he was born of a virgin Mary, lived a perfect birth, lived a perfect life, took upon himself, according to Isaiah 53, he took on himself our sins and hung on a tree for our sins he was buried for three days, and he rose again the third day, didn't he? And when he rose again, he was victorious over all of those things that defeat us. And he offers this salvation to us by, by, by grace through faith. This is a salvation offer to us that if we will come to God or come to uh, Christ in repentance and faith, we will experience the salvation that he gives us. This is what is the, is the um, focus of every believer's life. It's not just to communicate this message with our mouth, but it's to communicate this message with our lives. It's to create every opportunity and to avoid ever creating an opportunity that would not allow us to present this message. In other words, in every situation that you're in in life, it's to protect and guard your ability to preach the gospel to those people. It doesn't matter what you have to do or think you have to do. What supersedes everything else is the mindset that says, I, will, I, will, I desire to create an environment or a relationship that at some point I'll be able to preach the gospel to this person. And listen to me, folks. This will quench your mouth this will, this will stop your mouth from speaking words that don't need to be spoken. This will stop your anger. It will stop your lust. It will stop everything that you deal with from a sinful perspective. If you have the gospel at the center that you say every relationship is purposeful with the gospel. I will not do anything or I will, I will endeavor to not do anything that will prevent me from preaching the gospel to this person or prevent them from ever being able to hear the gospel coming out of my mouth. Does that make sense? That is what we're called to do. That is what the apostle Paul is teaching Timothy here in this text. He's teaching the women specifically, but I believe, again, everyone. He's teaching them that there are certain things that you're doing that are preventing you from being gospel-oriented. They're, they're, they're drawing away from being gospel-oriented, and they're becoming external-oriented. They're, they're becoming focused on the outside and not focused on the inside. 
That's the reason we, we, we need to understand that the, 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 the world has no hope beyond the gospel and the gospel message is not understandable by the world through the word of God. They see it in us and if the Lord chooses to open up their heart and their mind to understand it or comprehend it, but we are that witness to them. We are that representation to them. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 9. I want you to see the Apostle Paul's heart in regards to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. For though I am free from all, in other words, the Apostle Paul says, as a believer, I have ultimate freedom. And we do, don't we? We have ultimate freedom as a believer. But here's the Apostle Paul's heart. My heart is not about serving my freedoms. The Apostle Paul said, my heart is about serving the gospel. I make myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became like a Jew in order that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are outside of the law, I became as one outside of the law, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those who are outside the law. To the weak, I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. The word all there is pretty consistent, right? I, 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 uh, by all means, I given up my life for, for everyone that I might win some of them. He says, I do all of this for the sake of the, for the sake of the gospel. That's the apostle Paul's heart, the sake of the gospel. That's what's center. That's what's central. I do all of this for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. That's the heart of the Apostle Paul. Now, let's go back to our text and let's look at a few things that are helpful for all of us this morning on how we can function in such a way as to never create a situation, or, or let me say it this way, as to avoid creating a situation that might detract from the gospel. I, I realize this, it's impossible to never create a situation that's going to detract from the gospel or that's not going to be perfect because people are perceiving things and some of their perception plays into that. You're not going to do this perfectly. Amen? It's impossible to do it perfectly. But, but what we can do is we can pursue it with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We can pursue it with all that we are. So here's what he says. Point one was relating and responding, the, the similarities. Point two is relating and respecting. In other words, live life respecting other people. He says, likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire, but that which is proper proper for a woman who is professing godliness with good works. It talks primarily in this 
context about the way that the women were dressing. The issue is, and what, what is important to understand is that the, the, the issue of that day was this external focus. It was a focus on the outside and, and, and the way that they were dressing was a distraction from what was going on on the inside or the, the focus on the externals was a distraction from having a focus on the internals. And there was conflicts over, um, over dress. There was conflicts over um, women, specifically, um, overdoing themselves, okay? And, and, and overdoing themselves in such a way that it would, become a, it would become perhaps difficult for other people to meet up to that standard. They would be wearing very costly, maybe very, very rich rich people, and they would be very, very costly apparel to wear that. If a poor person wanted to hear the gospel from that person, that would be a distraction to that person. That would be an interference. They wouldn't feel that there was a comfort level there. So that's what the Apostle Paul is saying there. And it's not, it's not just clothes that, that deals with this, but it is, but it is a, a lot of areas of life. Our, our clothes do say something, but our, our attitudes say, say things as well. Some people are very approachable, and some people are, are not very approachable. And, and we want to be approachable so that people can come and hear the gospel from us. We want to be open to that, uh, open to being a witness of the gospel and to have nothing to be interfering with people coming and talking with us. And again, it can be our dress, it can be our attitude, it can be the way that we carry ourselves. But the Apostle Paul says here to live in a respectable or to relate to people in a respectable way. Respecting them. Okay? For the most part, we live our lives respecting us. We do what we want to do. We do it how we want to do it. And, we, and for a lot of people, they don't really care what other people think. They, they just simply are going to do it because they want to do it. it. It never crosses their mind that this is going to impact my influence on people. And again, this is applicable to both men and women. We ought to live a life that is relating to people in such a way that we're respecting them, their needs, their feelings, their weaknesses, their desires, that when we function in the day, that our mindset is on the good of others and not the good of me. That is the, that is the nature of the gospel. Jesus Christ lived 33 years on the earth, right? How many minutes do you think he lived selfishly? Zero. 33 years he lived for other people, always worried about our needs, always worried about our wants, always worried about our weaknesses, and maybe worry is not the right word, but always thinking about those things. This is what Paul is telling Timothy, that when you live, live in such a way that you're always considering other people. You're not just considering yourself. Like This is not just a dress issue that, that unfolds in this passage of Scripture, but it's just life issue. It's living life with the other people's best interest in mind. How can I bless you? How can I minister to you? What's the best thing for you in this moment? It's amazing as we learn to embrace that mentality and embrace that lifestyle, people will begin to listen to what we say because they know that we care about them. 
I've found this to be very true about children. Children are very interested in what you have to say when they know that you have their best interest in mind. But if your children don't think you have their best interest in mind, they will often not listen to what you say. People are that way as well. So we start off by relating to people in a respectful way, thinking about their interest in a situation. Let me give you some verses here. Philippians 2 and verse 4, the Bible says, let each of you look not only on his own interest, or look not on his own interest, but to also look on the interest of others, to consider the interest of others. Romans 14 is a, a whole chapter that deals with not doing things that's going to cause somebody else to stumble and fall. To, to make sure you respect the weaknesses of other people. Make sure you respect the, the choices and the lifestyle of other people. Make sure you respect these things so you don't create an environment in which you are detracting from the opportunity to present the gospel to people. Some, some, things, some things that we have as personality traits or whatever um, are understandable. But remember this, don't ever let them be an excuse to not do what we're called to do, okay? You say, well, I'm, I'm, just, a, I'm just a harsh person, I'm just a mean person, I'm just a, a person that's kind of like that. that. That's not an excuse because you're, you're no longer living for yourself, right? As a Christian, who do you live for? You live for Christ. And by living for Christ, you also live for, you also live for others, so you're not considering what you need and what you want and what's your makeup and what's your talents. You're considering what other people need and what you, you're, you're there to serve. That's why we're there. So uh, 1 Corinthians 80 talks about not eating meat that's, that's been offered to idols because it would cause somebody else to stumble. Apostle Paul said, I can eat meat offered to idols because to me there is no such thing as an idol. Paul didn't worship anything but God. It didn't bother him to eat meat offered to idols. But he said this, but if I eat meat offered to idols and somebody walking by does un doesn't understand that liberty and they fall, then that's on me. So what's Paul doing? Paul is living his life out of respect for, for other people. That's what he's doing. That's what, that's what Paul is telling Timothy here. Live a life that is respecting of other people. And again, in Ephesus, this issue became very prominent in the dress. It became very much a competition. And that's not the way it should be. He says to dress modestly. The word modest comes from the Greek word kosmios, which uh, we get our English word cosmopolitan from. It means to be well arranged uh, of good behavior. Okay? Um, I, I wrote this down in regards to modesty that we're to be orderly, respectable, common, and modest. Now, and I, and I, I want to emphasize that word common because I think there is a, there is a commonality that a Christian should, should dress in such a way that is, is to be seen as common. Not to be seen as elevated, but nor not to be seen as, as being overly um, self-deprivating self or whatever it might be. I mean, to be common, people, so that people can approach and they can... Um, ask questions, and again, ultimately, the gospel is is the is the end is the end goal. So, so modesty is to to dress, to act, to relate to people in a way that um, 
is based upon the internals and not the externals. We're not worried about how we present ourselves in, in our dress as much as we are how we present ourselves as um, spiritual followers of Christ. In 1 Samuel 16, when they're uh, choosing the next king and they go through David's brothers, the Lord says to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And we want to always remember this. The gospel is not about the external. The gospel is about the internal. What changes when a person gets saved is not their outside, it's their inside. And yes, at some point it begins to match up, but the focus of the gospel is not the outside. The focus of the gospel is the inside. And so in this case, the focus of the gospel, the focus of the church became the outside. It's how can we elevate ourselves by our dress. It's not appropriate in whatever way we want to elevate ourselves um, We always want to be common and welcoming to all people. He says modesty, and then he says self-control. Self-control is used all throughout the scriptures. It means not going overboard in any area. It means to be sound, sober, and sane. I like the last word there, sound, sober, and sane, right? And how we present ourselves, and not extremes. Christians are not to be living out in extremes worlds. Um, we're to be in self-control. And those extremes, again, can manifest themselves in a thousand different ways. We can't just minimize it to the specifics of what he says about you know, coloring your hair with gold and pearls and costly attire because we may not do that today. The issue is not that. The issue is, is living a life that is not extreme, that is under self-control, not going overboard. Be moderate, self-controlled in what we do and what we say, and our actions and our words should always display discipline and self-control. Philippians 4 and verse 5, let your modesty, let your reasonableness, um, let, let your moderation is another word that is translated in there, be known to everyone the Lord is at hand. The Apostle Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. So we're to function in life for the gospel, not with not living out extremes. Being under control, being sober-minded. Then he says, thirdly, first is modestly, second is self-control, thirdly is to pro- uh, someone who is proclaiming godliness. In other words, our lifestyle, everything, everything that we say and do would be a proclamation of the, um, the work of God in the gospel. This term, this term literally means somebody who is showing a constant reverence for God. And that's, that's kind of what our heart is. So we're to relate to people in a respectable way with their interest in mind. Husbands and wives, you can learn from that principle. Children, you can learn from that principle employees, employers, you can learn from that principle. That is the golden rule. Do to others as you'd have them to do unto you. If we can learn that and embrace that, we, we can live in such a way that people will be drawn into the gospel and, and not pushed away from it. Then he says to relate submissively. He says um, that women are to learn quietly with all submissiveness. They're not to, to usurp or um, take authority over the man. They're to relate 
um, submissively. Again, this is specifically related in this context to women, but it is not void or, or uh, should not be taken away from men as well. In Ephesians 5 and verse 21, it says we should all be submissive to each other. The reason why the emphasis is on the women here is because women have been given the gift and the calling of representing Christ in his, in his submissive role that he displayed to God the Father. You have a, ladies, you have a wonderful blessing and opportunity to represent Christ in his submissiveness. This is why the attention is, is placed there. But the attention, the focus, remember, go back to Ephesians 5 where it talks about women being submissive again. What does he say? I speak this about Christ and his church. Is, is there, are there men a part of the church too? Who else is supposed to be submissive in the representation piece? We're all supposed to be submissive. Everybody in here should have a submissive heart. That should be the way that we function that should be the way that we live. That should be the way that we manifest our daily lives is a submissive heart towards whatever our circumstances might be or to whatever other people around us might be calling us to. This means, this word literally means to, to put yourself in subjection, to obedience, to put under, okay? Submission is a willing act, Submission is a willing act. It cannot be demanded. It cannot be forced. Submission is a willing act that we as Christians desire to manifest because we love Jesus. Amen? And Jesus in Philippians 2 displayed the greatest expression of submission that ever, ever has been and ever will be. So when we're living a life of submission to people in our daily lives, in our walks, whatever we, opportunities we get to be submissive to each other, we are representing Christ. And it's a great opportunity to do so. So we should relate submissively. That is relation and respect, relating and respect. Number three is relating and roles. He says, women should not usurp authority over a man, but should learn in silence, okay, um, should not exercise authority over a man, but should remain quiet. Okay, so what he's doing is, is he's telling the women to embrace their role in, that, in, in, in their role of what God has created. God created men first and God created women to be in that help meet role. It's not a, it's not a uh, in any way is it a lessening of value. It is that help meet role, that, that role of, of, of being a partner with somebody. But we all have that responsibility, don't we? We all get the opportunity to live that command out every single day of our lives. We're all called to that. Again, we have the Ephesians 5 connection. Yes, husbands and wives, but church gets to fulfill this whole, this whole instruction. This is going to create... Embracing our roles, whether you're men or women, is going to help avoid conflict. Remember what's the goal? To live a peaceable and quiet life? When we embrace our roles and our responsibilities, we are embracing a peaceful and quiet life. Do you know what Satan did in the Garden of Eden? He caused Adam and Eve to no longer, or not to not embrace, but to reject their roles 
And immediately you have conflict, and it's the first few children, one of them ends up killing the other one, and you have murder on the scene. The Apostle Paul says, embrace your role. Embrace our roles as men, embrace our roles as women, and realize that these are God-given roles. God's design for us. And God's design for us always leads to peace, harmony, and unity. Amen? Amen. Man's design for us always leads to conflict, frustration, and anger. We have to embrace our roles in, in this life. It's not possible to live solely for others and not embrace what God has created you to do, whether you're a man or a woman. We have roles and responsibilities. God designed it that way for a reason. We believe that, right? And that both people have to embrace their part in order for there to be unity and harmony, right? And that is the goal of this text, that we would live peaceful lives we would embrace what God has called us to do, both sides of the picture. Men, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands. Both of those have to be there. And I would submit to you, no pun intended, I would submit to you that a, a man who loves his wife as Christ loved the church and a wife who submits to her husband will find great peace and unity. It's embracing our roles. Not just embracing our roles in, in our marriages, but embracing those same roles in the church. Okay? There's no, there's, no, um, there's no peace and harmony when we don't embrace what God has called us to. It comes to that way when it comes to gifting as well. When we want what somebody else has, there's no peace and harmony in that. In the church, it's important that we embrace, embrace our roles. We embrace our callings. If we're going to live peaceful and unified lives, we're going to, going to have to have a proper relation in regards to our roles. The last thing this morning is relating and rewards. It's interesting, at the very end of this passage, it talks about a woman being saved by childbearing. A woman being experiencing deliverance through childbearing. It really doesn't make a lot of sense. It's one of those passages of scripture that's very difficult. We know that no one gets saved by childbearing, right? There's no work that we perform to be able to save ourselves. But here's what the Apostle Paul is teaching. That there's great reward. There's great reward for, in your family. There's great reward in carrying out what God has called you to do. And what he's teaching them is to embrace the reward that God has placed in your world, not the reward, the reward that the world wants you to pursue. There's so many rewards that the world wants us to pursue. There's so many, isn't it true that there's a thousand different ways for men and women to find gratification? Isn't that true? And one of those ways is God's way. What he's telling them at the end of this is you have to learn to embrace the reward that God has called you to. Otherwise, you will pursue all of these other rewards out there and your life will be full of what? Conflict. 
it will be full of conflict. Because in order to get what the world wants us to have, we've got to step on somebody else's head, don't we? What the Apostle Paul is teaching here is that embrace the reward that God has called you to. And in in this context and in this place, it doesn't matter if it's men or women, in this context, he's specifically talking to women, embracing the reward of their children, that there will be gratification and joy through your children. Proverbs teaches us that clearly. Embrace the rewards of your children. But guys, the same principle applies to us. Embrace the reward of your wife. Embrace the blessing of your wife. Embrace the treasure of your wife. Embrace the value of your wife. She is a gift from God for you. Become satisfied with what God has given us and stop pursuing all of the other things that the world is trying to misplace or displace God's purpose for us. Isn't it it true that when we get caught up in the world's expectations and the world's and the world's promises of praise and promises of reward, isn't it true that we get frustrated and we get disgruntled when we embrace what God has for us? That's when we get to live a life of peace, a life of harmony, not just internal harmony, but but external harmony. Embrace the things that God, deliverance is embracing what God has called us to, right? Right? Deliverance, salvation, is embracing what God has called us to. And in, in this context, it's, it's children, but, but in, our, in our context of life, it is embracing the things that God has for us and treasuring those things above anything else. It's, 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 it's Matthew 6.33. You guys are all familiar with it, right? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. In closing, I want to ask you, you turn to chapter number six of this, of this same book, uh, 1 Timothy chapter number six. I'm just going to read the closing of this passage of scripture or this book um, to you to, get, to give you a heart what the, what the apostle Paul is teaching here. Uh, again, be mindful. What he's saying is this. Don't do anything that's going to create an, an attitude or an atmosphere of conflict that will prevent us from being able to be gospel-focused or gospel-oriented. Create environments that gospel can be central, that the internal things can be the focus. In 1 Timothy chapter number six, beginning in verse number three, if anyone teaches a different doctrine that does not agree with the sound words of the Lord Jesus Christ, And the teachings that accord with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. Imagining that godliness is the means of gain, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can take nothing out of this world. 
But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So my challenge to you this morning, my call to you, uh, my charge to you is that we live a life, that we live a life with the gospel at the center and that we live a life that's focused on others and that we never create, we never seek, we never pursue things that are gonna distract us from being gospel-oriented because it is those very things that will prevent us from being able to share the gospel with others possibly from them.